Fabulous Became Flesh and Dwelt Among Us, written Monday, October 4th, 2010. It was the morning of the second day, early in the morning. It was still dark. I guess maybe it was 3 a.m. or 4. Honestly, I had no concept of time, even though I was staring at a clock. It didn't matter what time it was. Kesner was dead. Nothing mattered. I was laying in the king-size bed in the master bedroom of the country house. My soul friend, Jessie, was laying next to me, still asleep. I, however, was wide awake. I had slept for maybe 45 minutes or an hour, but that was it. My body was turned away from her, and I was facing a wall and a window. Tears were streaming down the side of my face and onto the pillow. It was a silent, lonely cry in the dark. I was looking out of the dark window, waiting for the sun to rise. It reminded me of the trip that Kessner and I took to the Poconos. It was right after the election. Unfortunately, Kessner placed fourth in the election. He never said that he lost. He didn't lose. He was not a loser. He placed fourth. He needed to get away for a couple of days. He needed to leave Trenton, New Jersey, and he used me as his excuse. He sent a text to our friend Terrell and said, headed out of town. I need to get Kim out of here. It was an amazing trip. We went horseback riding. He canoed me for six miles down the Delaware River. I sang him a song as he paddled. I complimented him on how strong he was to canoe us so far, six miles. He told me, you were my inspiration, beautiful. While on the canoe ride, we stopped along the way to have lunch and so that Kesner could carve our initials in a tree. And as we sat and rested, I heard him say under his breath, imagine a woman who loves the outdoors. I do love the outdoors. On our last morning in the Poconos, Kesner woke me up at 5 a.m. to go outside and see the sunrise. I was so annoyed and grumpy, but I did it. I got up. And while I was laying in that bed at the country house looking out of the dark window, I thought about how thankful I was that I got up with him that morning. That would be the last sunrise that we would experience together. I had all of these sunrises ahead of me now, but I was going to have to go it alone, and that sucked so much. Laying there in the dark crying, I was also still thinking about that whole Lazarus thing, holding out a little bit of hope for the miracle, for the miracle of Kesner being raised from the dead. I even thought that maybe if I would go too, maybe if his mother and I went in together, maybe we could both, through our faith, combined, make him get up. We would have to be absolutely confident. I pondered that for a while, but I wasn't confident enough. My faith wasn't strong enough. I would mess it up. Kim, you're losing your mind, I thought. When the sun finally did come up, this was about 6 a.m., I guess, I finally decided to get out of bed. Everyone was still asleep. I took Kesner's T-shirt I had laid with it all night and was now carrying it around with me like a child carries a blanket. I took Kesner's t-shirt and I went downstairs into the den and sat on an oversized stuffed gray chair. I would sit there without getting up once, not even to use the bathroom for the next eight hours or so. Clay heard me. Clay, Monet, and Andrea were sleeping in the second bedroom, Molly's room. Andrea and Monet were in the bed and Clay slept in the chair. As I walked down the stairs, I guess he heard me. Soon after I settled in the chair, I saw Clay standing in the doorway. 
we were silent together for what seemed like a really long time. Clay. By now you may be asking yourself why I chose to call this fabulous made flesh. It's because fabulous became flesh and he dwells among us. His name is Clay S. Williams, and we behold the glory of his fabulousness. Clay is fabulous. Fabulous. I've never met anyone like Clay, and I count it such a privilege to be his friend. He is the type of person that leaves an impression on everyone that he meets, everyone. People who have only had one encounter with Clay still ask about him. Clay is fabulous personified. But there was nothing fabulous about that moment in the den. I was not fabulous at all. I was sitting in that chair with that same orange t-shirt on and a pair of black sweatpants. I cried and cried and cried and Clay just sat with me. He kept my tissues fresh, kept throwing away old ones and bringing me new ones. We were not speaking. This was all happening in silence. He just sat with me while I cried. At one point, he went into the kitchen to make a cup of tea. He also found some mandarin oranges in the pantry and poured them in a bowl for me to eat. No oranges. I didn't want any food. I didn't want to eat anything. I was just as fine to sit and starve and rot to death in my own filth. I was miserable. I did drink the tea, though, which I regretted because it made me have to pee, and I didn't want to pee. I didn't want to move, so I held it for about five or six hours. At some point, my friends woke up and joined us, one by one, first Jessie, then Andrea, then Monet. Monet is always the last to get up. They all sat around me in the room. I wasn't saying much, but my phone was beginning to ring off the hook. Clay handled the calls. Kim's phone, this is Clay speaking. I could have cared less about my phone. My mother had given up on trying to reach me on my phone and was now calling my friends directly. She was on her way. She would be there that afternoon. And then we got a call from my pastor, Lynn. She was coming over to pay me a visit. When Lynn arrived, she sat on the ottoman of the chair that I was still sitting on. She faced me and said a few things. I really don't remember what she said, but I appreciated that she was there. I also appreciated the fact that she was showing emotion. It felt like she was sharing the pain of this experience with me. It's not fair, she said. I looked at her, tired, desperate, and said, I cannot do another thing. I just can't do another thing, and I meant it. I couldn't do another thing, not even go to the bathroom. Lynn said, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything right now. She said some other stuff, and then shortly after that, she got ready to go. She marked off a few scriptures in the Bible and left them for me, just in case I felt like reading the Bible. I didn't. I didn't touch it. I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. And then right before she left, she said, How are you feeling about God? I hadn't given much thought. How was I feeling about God? I'm angry, I whispered. Then she said, Well, God is big enough to handle your anger, to absorb it, to take it all in. God is big enough for that. And then she left. And I thought to myself, well, God is big enough, huh? He better be big enough because I am pissed. <laughs>